The Stoic Jew podcast content for the month of May has been made possible by Dan Horowitz, who has graciously taken up my experimental request for an accountability sponsorship in hopes that this will result in more Stoic Jew content. Hello, I'm Rabbi Matt Schneeweiss, and this is the Stoic Jew podcast, where we explore the relationship between Judaism and Stoicism. In this episode, I am not actually going to read from the writings of any Stoics, but this is definitely a Stoic topic, namely memento mori, remembering that you're going to die or that you're mortal. And uh, the structure of the episode is really (laughs) me sharing a series of associations I had based on a conversation and what I decided to read, and then reflecting on the takeaway from from those uh, associations. So not exactly sure where this is going to go, but I felt like it would be good if I read this and share this aloud. Uh, So let's see where it goes. Okay, so the first association was this uh, past Friday night on Shabbos at, uh, at, you know, our Shabbos dinner. I don't even remember the context, but I brought up the last words of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. both of them died on the the 4th of July and John Adams's last words were Thomas Jefferson survives and Thomas Jefferson's last words and that actually was not true Thomas Jefferson had died uh, a few hours earlier Thomas Jefferson's last words uh, as testified by several of the witnesses who were present were were is it the 4th I resign my spirit to God my daughter and my country um, so that's that's pretty epic. And uh, when I was fact checking this, I decided to just, you know, reread the there, there are a lot of lists like this of, of the American president's last words. And uh, I think my top five favorite ones uh, that I read on these lists were so those two. And then John Quincy Adams final words were this is the last of Earth. I am content. Uh, and uh, which is a great way to go out. Grover Cleveland uh, his last words were quite poignant. He says, he said, I have tried so hard to do right. And then this last one is not really, uh, the last words of a president, uh, but it is the last words of Harry Truman's vice president, Alan B. Barkley. Uh, and what makes this unique is not only the fact that it was epic last line, but that this is recorded, uh, uh you can hear the audio of this. This is, uh, at a keynote speech. And he's talking about how he's still uh, still in politics and he's going to be a junior senator, I think, or something like that. And he says, uh, I'm glad to sit on the back row, for I would rather be a servant in the house of the Lord than to sit in the seats of the mighty. And he says that line, everyone applauds, and then he has a heart attack and dies on the spot. Um, so, yeah, those are my five favorite, <laughs> five favorite last words. Okay, so that was association number one. Uh, and again, I don't really remember the context of that, but that was on my mind. Okay, so then fast forward, I um, purchased a book earlier this year, I think. And the title of the book is Japanese Death Poems, written by Zen monks and haiku poets on the verge of death. Uh, and it's uh, compiled by Yoel Hoffman. I'm not sure if he's the one who translated it uh, or not, or if it uses multiple translations. Uh, obviously, this book was recommended by Tim Ferriss, and I purchased it because uh, for two reasons. One was for memento mori reasons. I thought that reading the reflections of people who spent their lives in some form of thought, whether it was as a Zen monk or as a poet, um, I thought that that would probably yield some sort of benefit. And also, the second benefit was I'm always trying to get into poetry through various angles. And I thought that uh, Japanese poetry or haiku might be uh, a good way to do that. 
And what I did was I bought the book and I, you know, I have my reading time in the morning and I would usually start the morning by reading one or two poems. Now, what makes this book even better is it's not just a collection of poetry. Uh, it lists the, the name of the author, when they died, the poem, uh, along with the transliteration, uh, and then usually a commentary on if there are any uh, word play, you know, wordplay, uh, notable instances of wordplay or something like that in the uh, in the Japanese. But then it will often give some biological uh, background or or historical context or immediate context. And uh, and there's also a lengthy introduction about this genre of poetry uh, in general. I guess this was a very very common thing uh, about uh, you know that that people would uh, poets and monks would compose their their death poems. So I would read a little bit in the morning. And, uh, and then what I did for a period of time, I think in June, maybe late May and then June was I actually decided to try my hand at haiku and I would use, uh, in, in, a, a atomic habits, uh, fashion, I would use haiku to unlock my phone. You know, my, my morning routine is that I, uh, I have my davening and then I have my coffee and my, uh, reading time where I don't take my phone out of focus mode. So I can't access any social media or anything like that. Uh, and so what I would do is I would, I would, uh, I would make it so that I would have to write a haiku before unlocking my phone. Uh, and so that actually went very well. So this is what I did up until, uh, you know, the late spring, early summer until June. And then I, uh, I went back to Seattle for the summer and I took the book home with me and I, it got <laughs> put under a pile and I didn't find it until I came back. So I brought it back with me uh, uh, after Sukkot and I decided this week to start rereading it because I was thinking about the last words of these American presidents. So I'm reading this, uh, this book and there is a passage here under the poet Jiko who died on the 21st day of the seventh month in 1791 at the age of 69. And I guess I'll read his death poem because it's a haiku. He says, the doctor whispers with the family, winter showers pass through their sleeves. Now, that's not the reason why I'm reading this. The reason I'm reading this is because of what Joel Hoffman then quotes, which is uh, Jiko's opinion about death poems. Okay, so I don't know where this is written, uh, but this is what this poet said. He says, uh, one evening, a friend came to visit. We discussed haiku beside the stove and drank two or three cups of sake. We recalled the death poems of the old master poets, and tears streamed down our cheeks. We consoled ourselves, saying that even if the man dies, his death poem remains forever. For this reason, there are men who prepare a death poem while still healthy. They may seem like exaggerated. Uh, this may seem like exaggerated readiness, but fate plays tricks on us all, and we never know when it will ordain us to die. If death comes suddenly, we will have no time to say a word. It can therefore be understood why people prefer to write their death poems before their time. Some leave behind a distorted poem and claim there's no harm in that because haiku poetry does not disdain popular speech. These people become the laughingstock of future generations. Great poets create outstanding death poems, and thus they show the strength of art, which fails not even in the hour of death. And so we continued well into the night. Okay, so that expresses a shows a little bit of a window into the culture in Japan at that time about the role of these death bombs. Okay. And the line that struck me was this may seem like exaggerated readiness, but fate plays tricks on us all. And we never know when it will ordain us to die. Now I should mention as well, that there were other Japanese poets who were against the practice of writing death poems. So this is from another uh, place in the book. Uh, and Yul Hoffman writes, 
Nishiyama Soin, from, who lived from 1605 to 1682, who was by all accounts a good poet, did not write a death poem at all. The probable reason has been recorded as follows. Quote, the poet Soin decided a long time before his death not to write a death poem. One day I heard him tell the story about a dying Buddhist priest. One of the priest's pupils came to his bed and said, a man as famous for his learning and as gifted as you, surely you will write a death poem. The priest simply replied, at an awesome time like this. Then he closed his eyes and died. How wonderful, how wonderful, said Soin excitedly, repeating several times, how wonderful. For this reason, I'm sure that Soin, when he died, was taken up solely by the awareness, sorry, by the awesome meaning of his last moment. Uh, end quote from... Uh, from whoever that was quoting from. And then Yoel Hoffman goes on and says, while some Zen monks were against the practice of writing death poems, we do find numerous examples of such poems in the literature. The fact that in Zen there was criticism of this custom is not surprising due to the abhorrence on the part of many Zen masters of anything that smacks of mere formalism. But it seems that most Japanese Zen masters simply followed Japanese and Chinese traditions and wrote farewell poems, although some of them suggest their objection to this custom in their own death poem. Okay, so I read that passage yesterday, okay? And then uh, I put the book down and I was, uh, I grabbed a volume. I have this, uh, these two volumes of Avos de Rabbi Nasan, which is quasi the Gemara on Pirkei Avos, okay? Uh, there's no real Gemara on Pirkei Avos. And I was looking for a specific quotation. So I was flipping through all the pages that I bent down and I came across a, um, a passage about the final words and the deathbed um, uh, uh, behavior and the, I guess, <laughs> deathbed significance of the Tanaim and Amorayim, uh, or I guess the Tanaim, the uh, the sages of the uh, of the Mishnah. And I reread uh, all of those um, those statements, and uh, I was very perplexed. <laughs> you know, some of them were very, uh, you know, it was it was clear what the reason was for, for writing them, and the ideas were clear. Others just perplexed me, and I, I want to read the one that perplexed me most. I was going to read it from Abbas de Nasim, but I'm actually going to read it from the Gemara, because uh, it's quoted there. So this is the Gemara in Ksubos, Daf Kuf Gimel Amud Beis, uh, that's 103b, and I'm just going to, for the sake of, uh, of efficiency, I'm just going to read the Steinzal's translation, okay? So it says like this, the Gemara asks, uh, isn't it taught in a brisa, quote, when Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi fell ill, Rabbi Chia entered to be with him and found him crying. He said to him, my teacher, for what, for what reason are you crying? Isn't it taught in a brisa? Okay, and then he quotes a, a brisa, and this brisa is um, is more or less what it says in uh, Abbas Rabbi Nassan. So it says like this, if one dies while laughing, it is a good sign for him. While crying, it is, it is a bad sign for him. If one dies with his face upward, it is a good sign for him. With his face downward, it is a bad sign for him. If one dies with his face facing the people standing around him, it is a good sign for him. With his face facing the wall, it is a bad sign for him. If one's face is sallow, it is a bad sign for him. If his face is yellow or ruddy, it is a good sign for him. If one dies on the on the Sabbath Eve, it is a good sign for him because he was is heading... Okay, then Rashi says because he is heading straight into the Sab, uh, Sabbath rest. If one dies at the conclusion of Shabbos, it is a bad sign for him. If one dies on the eve of Yom Kippur, it is a bad sign for him. Okay, and then I think it's Rashi probably who says, as his sins have not yet been forgiven. If one dies at the conclusion of Yom Kippur, it is a good sign for him, Rashi, or someone, because his sins, he died after his sins have been forgiven. If one dies due to an intestinal disease, it is a good sign for him, because most of the righteous die due to intestinal disease. So that was the, that was Rabbi Chia's question. Uh, 
about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who was crying. So the question is, this Bryce opens with a line, if one dies while laughing, it is a good time for him, while crying, it is a bad time for him. So he's asking his Rebbe, why is it that you're, you know, <laughs> not, not why are you dying while crying, but why are you crying? You know this Gemara, uh, you, sorry, you know this Brisa. So Rabbi said to him, I'm crying for the Torah and the mitzvot that I will be unable to fulfill after I die. Okay, and that's the end of the Gemara. All right, so, so I read this, okay, and obviously the biggest question in my mind was, what's this deal with Simon Tov and Simon Ra, or sorry, sorry, Simon Yafa and Simon Ra, a good sign and a bad sign? I mean, it sounds superstitious. And furthermore, it sounds ridiculous because there are, you know, there are many circumstances under which a person can die. And many, in many cases, these, uh, these are haphazard, you know, like you're really telling me that, uh, I mean, look, okay. So if, if you're dying while laughing, so then maybe that says something about something, but you're telling me if you die with your face towards the wall, like then that's a, uh, was that a bad sign or a good sign? If he dies with this, yeah, then that's a bad sign. Or if your face is sallow, you know, then that's a bad sign. I mean, what if, what if you're dying from intestinal disease, which back then, you know, they didn't really know the intestine. So, uh, I think it's uh, uh, a disease of the, of the innards, you know, what if you have some sort of liver condition and your face turns yellow, you know? So like, it just seems like a ridiculous Gemara. Um, but you know, you have to assume that there are ideas here. So I started looking into the commentaries and, um, I found, <laughs> uh, I found a lot of very, very forced explanations and I found some good explanations as well. Um, so, um, so I'll give you an example of a good explanation. So this is the Akedas Yitzchak on Breshis, um, on Parshas Chayesara Sha'ar Chaf Bez. And he says like this, uh, and I don't know what the, his context is, but he says, atam amru azal, um, So this is the reason why the sages said, if someone dies uh, uh, amid laughter, then this is a good sign for him. So he's going to explain. He says, Yasisu, elav, simcha upanim tzuhuvim. So he says, perfected individuals, people who are highly perfected, when they remember at that time on their deathbed what they spent their time and their money uh, on, uh, how they, sorry, how they spent their time and money building an eternal house, they will rejoice when they make that transition and they will die amid joy with, uh, with a smiling face. Not so the wicked, who do not sense this at all, and don't worry about this. Meaning they don't they don't worry about uh, about their their eternal future, and they don't strive towards it. And when they travel to the east, meaning when they travel uh, presumably to their next world, then their uh, their heart will become. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly that expression. Yeter libam, their heart will become untied, unbound, and they will uh, they will be uh, they will tremble with fear. They don't see anything in their hands, meaning they didn't spend their lives doing anything that was worthwhile. They will die without, uh, not in a state of wisdom and not in a state of joy. They will they will die amid crying and uh, and uh, pain. Great pain. Vuhu vadai simen ra. 
And this will certainly be a bad sign for them to recognize the uh, the badness of their life and their the their minimal perfection. That's a pasuk from Kohelas chapter six. He says uh, it will be fulfilled in them. In each one of them, uh, the verse, uh, for he came in futility or vanity or emptiness or, uh, you know, uh, temporality, and in darkness he will go. Uh, and in darkness, his, his uh, name will be covered. This is the opposite of what the uh, the poet says, David Melech, uh, in Tehillim Chav Gimel, in Psalms 23, uh, even when I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. Havi v'titzchak liyamacharam. Uh, and this is, uh, uh, I think it's this is what um, uh, what Shlomo HaMelech means in Eishas Chayel when he says that she laughs at, at uh, on her last day. Okay, so his explanation is that uh, why is it that if you die amid laughter, then that's a good sign, and if you die amid crying, then it's a bad sign. So he's saying that when people are on their deathbed, then they will reflect on on what they did with their lives, and uh, and if they lived, if they spent their time well, then they will laugh with joy because they had a good life. Like, um, like uh, what his name said, like John Quincy Adams. This is the last of the of Earth. I am content. Um, and if they reflect on their lives and they, they realize they wasted their lives, then they're going to die amid crying. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is that um, this is consistent with the fact that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi was crying when he died because he's crying about the fact that he's losing an opportunity for uh, for doing more mitzvahs and learning more Torah. So you see from here that that what's interesting is these signs are not ironclad in, in, uh, in how they are to be interpreted, right? In other words, if this was like a superstitious sign, so then it would be, again, which we don't believe in, then it would be... It would be a, a rule, right? That if you if you die while laughing, that is a good sign. If you die while while uh, crying, then that's a bad sign. But you see from the fact that Rabbi Huda Hanasi died while crying, but it was a good sign. That means that these signs in this brisa are not absolute. Okay, and uh, and so that that was an example of a good interpretation. There are plenty of bad interpretations, which I'm not going to read. Uh, but then I found a uh, when I was doing research on this, Shilas Uchuvos. Aselacha Rav, who actually have to look up and see who that is. Hold on one second. Okay, I think this is someone named Rav Chaim David Halevi. So I'm going to read what he write, writes about this. Okay, he says, um, this is in Chelek Beis Simon Tess. Bakach Navin Divri Rabbaseinu. With this, we can understand the words of our rabbis. Tanya, it was taught in Abraisa. Meis mitoch skok simen yafelo. Mitoch habechi simen ralo. Someone dies amid uh, 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 laughter, then it's a good sign for him. If he dies amid crying, then it is a bad sign for him. So then he says, Hamafarshim pirshu masha pirshu. The commentators explain what they explain. And then in parentheses, he says, Ayin b'divreim ki yesh makam lahasik al pirushehem ve'en kan makam laharich. He says, uh, you should look into their words because there is room to object to their explanations. And this is not the place to elaborate. Now that's, uh, a polite way of saying that he disagrees with, with with what they wrote, that there are problems in the explanations that they give, okay? Uh, and uh, when I saw that, I was like, okay, great. 
it turns out that there is a Chacham uh, who who uh, my intuitions agree with here, uh, that I, I thought that these uh, explanations were problematic, okay? And then he, he adds in, he says, mm-hmm. Um, so he, I don't know what he's talking about here. I didn't read the larger context or I forgot the larger context because I read a lot of stuff about this. He says, um, it's clear that when, uh, I guess he was writing about a case where someone died while crying. He says it was clear that he was crying because he saw his relatives who came to visit him and he's, uh, and, and they were crying, uh, and they were sad and that made him sad. Okay. So he's saying that he, again, he's acknowledging the point that I made, which is that just because you happen to be doing something when you die, um, does not mean that there's some sort of intrinsic good or bad sign because of that. Uh, really a lot is based on the, on the circumstances. Okay. Um, and, oh, I forgot to read one, by the way, there's, there's, uh, um, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, that, that Bryce has said is if you die while facing the wall, then it's a bad sign. But if you die while facing the people, then it's a good sign. So I saw uh, when I was looking through the presidential uh, last words, Ben Franklin, I know he's not a president, Ben Franklin's final words, uh, it says, uh, were a dying man can do nothing easy, he said, after his daughter asked him to change position, positions in bed, right? So in other words, you can't expect people to uh, to like arrange themselves in the proper way so as to have a simen yafe, a good sign when they die. But then the Shilas Chuvas to say Rav concludes as follows. He says, I'll call panim in any event. Hamatsuim etel gosusim, those who are frequently present near people who are on the verge of death, Yodim, they know they know that when people are uh, are are on their deathbed, they will they will um mutter names um when they're dying. Ulifamim and sometimes af They'll sometimes they'll even mutter things that don't make sense. Okay. Now again, this is this just confirms my intuition is that when a person dies, then uh, then like they they are you you can't read too much into their actions because there are many things going on. You know the brain is doing wacky stuff, uh, and you know honestly, uh, you know when I was reading through all these gemaras about uh, about death and uh, you know there's a bunch of stuff also in the gemaras that the Ramban brings down in the Sefer Torah Adam in the uh, the uh, Sha'ar Haptira or sorry I guess Sha'ar. Well, this is the Indian Haptir. I've got which Shar this is in. So he's talking about all these Gemaras about when people die. And he says, you know, the, there are Gemaras that say, like, if you die, if you get sick and you die after one day, it means this. If you die after two days, it means that. If you die after three days, it means that. If you die at the age of 50, it means this. If you die at the age of 60, it means that. And, you know, even if Chazal believed that, you have to realize you can't apply that to nowadays because nowadays we have medicine. And, like, a person can you know, is not just going to be sick and then immediately die from an infection. They're probably going to get medical help and that's going to prolong their life. So like, it's a question of whether these things are even relevant. But you see that this contemporary posik is saying that like, yeah, you know, you can't read too much into these last moments. Okay. However, after reading these three things, after uh, these three associations of the presidential last words and then the Japanese death poems, uh, with some being uh, in favor of these death poems and others not being in favor, and then reading uh, this Gemara and these Brysos and these sources with some good explanations and some bad explanations, I could not help but wonder about my Rebbe, Rabbi Moskowitz, Zechot Tzadok Livracha, uh, what his 
last moments were like. Now, I had heard his, uh, you know, his almana, Mrs. Moskowitz, um, talk about this uh, at the Shiva, but I didn't remember all the details. So I asked her, uh, I told her that I was reading these Gemaras about, uh, about you know, deathbed um, uh, words and conduct. And I asked her if uh, she would, if, you know, she, she always is, is happy to share um, recollections of Rabbi Moskowitz. And I asked her if she would be willing to share her, her uh, what his last moments were like. And um, and I figured, you know, it, it, I would like to share it with with uh, with all of you, and then reflect on it in light of what we were just talking about. So uh, this is shared with her permission. Um, so she says as follows: uh, This is in a WhatsApp message on uh, November twentieth, two thousand twenty-three, at seven forty-six p.m. She says, "I'm happy to share what I remember. He, Rabbi Moskowitz, did make kiddush Friday night. He welcomed guests on Shabbos morning. His health deteriorated throughout the day." He was able to walk around and eat ice cream till early afternoon. And I have to say an aside here is Rabbi Moskowitz, you know, would always use eating ice cream as an example of um, of like, you know, uh, behavior that he was very, very tempted by, um, but uh, but knew it was bad for his health. And one of the things I'm very happy about is that in Rabbi Moskowitz's final years, uh, you know, uh, actually, I don't know when this started, but like, I guess when he was on dialysis, then, uh, and certainly when he was off dialysis, then he did get to eat a lot of ice cream. So, okay, so back to Mrs. Moskowitz's recollections. Uh, he was able to walk around and eat ice cream till early afternoon. So this is on Shabbos day. At that point, he began what I learned was the process that would eventually lead to his patira, to his, uh, his departure, his, his death. Late afternoon, I did not have guests come in out of concern for his dignity. Most of our remaining time, we just held hands, cherished those moments, and shared our feelings of mutual love and gratitude. By Havdalah time, he was not able to say Havdalah, but did participate. He was nifter. He passed away shortly after Shabbos ended. Yehi zichro baruch. May his memory be a, a blessing, be blessed. This is what I remember at this time. Okay, and then she added in a separate text message, I do not think that he thought he was on his deathbed. And then she added uh, after that, I am very grateful to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for so many chasadim, so many kindnesses. Having him, having Rabbi Moskowitz a, a home where he wanted to be was huge. Although the last hours were difficult, he was not in pain and, com and was as comfortable as possible. He died holding my hand and saying, I love you. It doesn't get better than that. Okay, so um, when I read this, uh, then I, of course, having just read that Gemara, thought to myself, but the Gemara says if you die on Motzei Shabbos, right after Shabbos ends, then that's a bad sign for you. Well, guess what? <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> you know, uh, given everything I just said, I mean, you know, Rabbi Moskowitz had been, uh, uh, you know, kept alive on dialysis for a very long time, and he had many, many medical interventions. So again, I don't think you could read anything into when a person dies, um, but... Uh, but clearly his last moments were very good and he got to spend an entire Shabbos, um, you know, a part of it, uh, conscious, he got to make a, a last Kiddush and Beyonce a last Havdalah and died holding the wife, uh, the, the hand of, of, of the wife he had loved throughout his, uh, his, his, uh, his entire life. Um, and so that, I don't think anyone can look at that and say that that was a bad sign. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that's just another Another argument on the side of the uh, the Aselacha Rav uh, uh, piece about how you can't read too much into these things. Okay, so now let's take a step back and reflect, okay? What is our takeaway here, all right? Uh, we've seen examples where, um, oh, sorry, there's one more thing also, sorry, one more uh, exhibit four, which is going back to that line from the uh, the poet uh, Jiko, 
Uh, he said, when he's talking about death poems, he says, this may seem like exaggerated readiness, but fate plays tricks on us all, and we never know when it will ordain uh, us to die. So I, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to say it because it was, it was what I was reflecting on, is, yeah, you don't know when you're going to die, uh, and death could take you, uh, uh, you know, from nowhere, uh, out of nowhere. And, you know, most recent uh, national uh, example of this was the the horrific uh, massacres on October 7th, when many, uh, many Jews were killed uh, and did not have any warning coming and didn't have any time for last words. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I can't help but think of uh, my student, uh, Adira Kofsky, uh, shalom, uh, who died this past February when she was hit by a car. Uh, and she did not have time for last words. Um, and by the way, uh, I'm going to mention, I'll, I'll include the link in the show notes, but uh, apparently her, uh, her friends compiled a, um, a book with her writings and her poems uh, which is available on uh, on Amazon.com. I actually ordered my copy, and it should be arriving tomorrow. And you know, like many of these uh, these Japanese uh, uh, poets, uh, there will be poems in there. I'm sure that you know are her last poems, uh, even though she didn't intend them as death poems. Okay, but anyway, we don't know when death is going to take us. So my question is like this. So the question is, what's the takeaway? My que- my question specifically is, given the fact that death is unpredictable, of what value is there in in these gemaras, right? In like in 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 being told that there's a good sign and a bad sign for how you die, etc. So uh, I do think that uh, I don't know for sure. I don't know what Chazal meant, but I can definitely say that one value is the ideas. Perhaps when they made these statements, then they intended them not to be literal, you know, harbingers of good or ill. But maybe the intent of them just to express certain philosophical ideas, like the Akedas Yitzchak that I read, where he says, it, it's not that if you die while laughing or you die while crying, then that indicates something about your fate, right? Like if you're dying in pain from a, uh, a wound, then we won't look at you and say, oh, well, that's a bad sign. You know, you're having a bad death. Rather, the way that they express these things, maybe these are all uh, didactic statements, uh, teaching you ideas, uh, about, about, you know, about life and death, like the Akasia talk when he said that if you die laughing, uh, then that, that's the idea behind that is that if you, if you live a good life, then you will die in a state of happiness. Whereas if you live a bad life then you'll die crying over your fate, okay. Uh, or over, over how you spent your life. So maybe there are similar, uh, uh, interpretations for all of those, uh, those signs. Okay. So that's one possibility. Um, but I think the takeaway for me is that we don't like to think about our death. We don't like to think about what are we going to uh, be like on our deathbed. And we certainly don't like to think about the fact that we may not have the, the, the good fortune of being able to have last words or last moments on our deathbed. I mean, again, death can come from, uh, from anywhere and at any time. So one takeaway for me from reading these death poems and, uh, and and reading these Gemaras is it is just forcing me to think about my own death and uh, and to, um, you know, to just not have that be foreign territory or or a locked door that I just don't want to think about. Uh, and uh, and I do think that thinking about your deathbed or the circumstances that you'll be in when you die does alter the way that you live, hopefully for the good. Um, and, uh, 
And uh, I think that that is a value. So again, I'm not saying that that's why Hazal wrote this. Uh, I assume that they wrote it either because they actually, you know, uh, either because they were trying to teach ideas or perhaps because they did think that the, that that there were uh, bad signs and good signs. I, I would not like to think that, but it's a possibility. But uh, for me, the value in, in reading things like this is it forces me to think about the circumstances of my death, which will happen. <laughs> you know, like, uh, again, th th that's part of it is, is, is part of memento mori is thinking about the fact that you will die. Um, and I guess I'll end off um, with a, a poem that I wrote uh, when I was doing my haikus to unlock my phone on. Um, uh, should I read three poems? Hold on. Yeah, let me read three of these poems, okay? And again, these are haiku, and then I, I did the normal haiku of 575, okay? So this is a poem I wrote on, and I don't remember the circumstances anymore under which I wrote these first two poems. A poem I wrote on June 9th, 2023. Uh, and, oh, I actually, I do remember the circumstances. Um, this is, uh, I think this was when I was either leaving for the summer, or this was the last day of yeshiva. It was some last day, okay? So I wrote like this. Another last day in a life of learning is another first day. Okay, here's another poem from uh, June 12th, 2023. The cool morning breeze outside. Oh, hold on. I can't read my handwriting. Hold on. What is this? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was saying. I can't read this. I can't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I think I was writing this while it was really noisy outside. Uh, so I said, the cool morning breeze, outside sounds mingle within the gift of more life. And then I went back to my poem writing habit uh, routine today. So this is on November 21st, 2023. Um, and I wrote this as I was looking at the sunrise, uh, uh, the, the, the light of the sunrise on the autumn leaves uh, on a tree that is across uh, that I can see through the window. Another sunrise brings new opportunities. Life begins today. So I think that this, uh, I'm not going to be writing a uh, death poem every day, but I do think that these death poems and these statements of Hazal and this reflection on, on our impending death in general, I think can lead to a greater appreciation of life and, uh, and hopefully uh, affect the decisions that we make uh, for how we use our lives for the better. Okay. That was a lot longer than I thought. Uh, that is the end of today's episode. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at Matt-Schneeweiss. Uh, and my Zell and PayPal are matchnaywasegmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor a day's or a week's worth of content, or if you're interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnaywasegmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.